Hi, I'm Marietta Del Vecchio and welcome to another episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast. This podcast is about lessons learned in running a business with a strong focus on startup founders and CEOs. We'll uncover what gaps these disruptors have identified in the market, what they're doing differently to their competitors, and of course, to find out their silver bullet for business success. On today's episode of the Silver Bullet Podcast, I'm chatting with Amanda Rose, founder of Small Business Women Australia, the one-stop shop community and resource for female-owned and led small businesses. During the podcast, we chat about why her motto is trust no one, the number one reason women turn to her for help, and how she made her business profitable within a week. Amanda, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Firstly, can you tell me a bit about Small Business Women Australia? Yes. So Small Business Women Australia was created out of a need, like everything that I do, it's from filling a gap. And it was during the lockdown. So the first lockdowns when I found out or realised that women weren't being represented when it came to government subsidies, just in general, they were struggling, they didn't have a voice. People really didn't take their businesses seriously. They were affected the most. And so I was quite frustrated by that. I had been frustrated over the years, but that really was the clincher. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to start Small Business Women Australia and start advocating for them in the media, start providing them with free advice and pushing. um, And I did a three months straight of free webinars with experts from around Australia to help them survive mentally and professionally throughout the lockdowns, but also advocate for them to government. Can you expand a little bit about on what you mean by women weren't represented in terms of government grants and things like that? Were they actively excluded? So bureaucracy is run by non-small business owners and then government is run majority by men. So it's kind of they didn't have a representative in the system to understand it. So they weren't actively excluded. They just didn't realise that when they excluded, for example, businesses 75K and under with their turnover, which didn't get any support whatsoever, that is actually a majority of small business women that are running their businesses, trying to earn a living. They've given themselves a job and they're doing very well and they're chipping away at it. They had absolutely no support whatsoever. It was only those above that that were getting the support. And then in general, when you talked about, say, retail and hospitality and the lockdowns, they were impacted more than those that could pivot their businesses online. You can't pivot serving coffee if you can't open your shop and you can't um, run it like events, for example, women running events, some businesses completely shut down and went bankrupt. So even though um, they might have been earning good money, they completely lost everything. So those things weren't considered. So they weren't looking at, you could say, like a means testing activity of the businesses that are affected the most, which happened to be majority female run. That's quite fascinating. So it's like an inadvertent um, exclusion zone. Yeah, and it, it actually happened also with Western Sydney when they shut down those 13 LGAs and then realised, oh, hang on a minute, we need you to actually service us because we can't function without you. So it's like, oh, hello, working class, we need you. And it's went from, you know, allowing two professional or two industries working to 35 over 24 hours because they realised they literally stopped the economy by doing that. So it's that if if you're not in that world, get someone who is to help advise you, but you've got government advised by young university graduates 
um, who all live in a particular area, have no experience in key areas. So this is, again, why I push the need to have more representation and diversity in politics. Tell us a little bit about how it works. Is it a membership-based network? So what I did is I wanted no financial barriers, especially because it was during lockdowns and they were suffering with money. It was free to join so you can be a part of the community and I like all communities to be like that. Also, I think membership base for small businesses and women in general is a bit tricky. But then I gave them the choice. So if I had a lot of free programs and that was just to do my bit to help them um, and to build up the community but also to give them the tips they need and a lot of people helped with that. But then I I would run mentoring programs or boot camps or where they could pick and choose what they needed and then pay for that. So it could be a four-week mentoring program. It could be freebies that they need with downloads. It could be um, an ongoing monthly um, boot camp, which is what I do, which is affordable. So they keep it at $49 so it's not hurting the budget and they can still learn. We do surveys as well, enable free. Everything was advocacy and helping, but I had to model it different to the rest of the business community, because women never put themselves first, but I needed to make sure that they put their business first, because if they didn't, then they couldn't have the income to look after themselves and their family. So you identified a really key problem, a really obvious problem, and you hit the ground running. What was uptake like once you started? It took off. It took off. And um, it was, it was just, it was mind blowing, actually. I think within a week, I had 3000 people and um, yeah, it, wow. it, it just, well, because there was, it's, you had no representation. It's kind of like when you looked at previous elections and we look at elections and the people go, where'd they come from? Well, because they're representing people that weren't represented before. So it was just filling a need. And let me tell you, if I was frustrated, obviously other women were being frustrated. And it, it, it's women of all size businesses. So our women go from, you know, the 75 and under, but also 80% of businesses for women are about 250 turnover. It's about 80%. And then you've got the next 20%, which is higher. So I do a lot with entrepreneurs, but they still all have the similar struggles. That was my next question, actually. What are some of the common <laughs> themes you were hearing by these business owners? Um, and a big one is not being taken seriously. So I think women in business, especially like if you're in a professional service or if you're trying to tender for information, or like if you look at VC funding, you look at trying to get funding to grow your business, 4% of 100% female-owned, not co-owned, 100% female, 4% of funding. And I know amazing women with amazing ideas and also know men that have really crappy ideas that get the funding overnight because of who they know. So they're not taken seriously. Um, They also like to help a lot of people and the struggle there is to how the guilt of making money if what you do is helping someone <laughs> and that is a huge barrier so I'm finding a, women create solutions or want to bring people together or and they're great at that but then there's that should you really be making money off that and I get that too people are like should you be making money off that I'm like no please I'll, I'll remain on welfare I'll just stay on I'll go on welfare and then do this for free but a man can do it So there's double standards for women in business that we're called ruthless and aggressive and all these things because we make strong, hard business decisions. But everyone I've dealt with wants to help in some capacity. So that barrier of of wanting to help and commercialising it and they're not being taken seriously in the marketplace, which needs to change, and lack of representation, which is why we started. And so tell me a bit about like your customer base now. How big is it and what sort of industries are they in Ooh, all mixed. So it's at now it's at around um, just under 10,000 
and we wow, that's, in, that's in a couple of years yes and um and it look it's just it's organic um to be honest I do a bit of media and advocate and I'll always advocate and I do surveys and but they they just come together and they pull and I have a rule as well that you know we don't gossip we don't do silly stuff and there's and I'm very protective of the members to make sure they get the right information and it's quality and I'm quite firm uh, can be called me and Amanda sometimes telling them what they need to hear um, <laughs> because it's tough right it, it is tough and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out in the world there are a lot of people um, male and female that take advantage of the vulnerability and the lack of understanding or say wisdom or experience of small business women right so our clientele ranges from retail hospitality entrepreneurs to climate-based, um, you know, uh, electric um, vehicle-based. It could be construction, we've got the construction people, everyone. It's like the diversity of women in business is actually quite phenomenal and I think there's not enough of that out there and communicated. And there are a lot of them, I mean, when you think about it, women are starting small businesses more than men, right? So That's it fascinating. Is, is there it actual is, statistics I, around that? Yes, and they're actually starting it, um, I think, it's 30% more than men are and because they're growing because they're only about, I think, about 43%. But they're going to, I reckon they'll overtake, but there's that danger of not commercialising it straight away, not thinking about profitability straight away um, because of guilt and all these other um, reasons. But they're starting them because they're finding problems. They want to come up with a solution and they think, well, okay, well, there's got to be a way around this. So I advocate for the government and I do nag the government a lot and other places to provide more access to resources, to help, to practical things, to be able to um, facilitate their growth because men have it naturally in their connections. Women don't. And what are you finding um, that women need help with the most? Um, I think confidence is, I'd say confidence is number one because they think they're not as good as they actually are and they think other people are better than they actually are. That's the classic imposter syndrome, right? Well, exactly. I'm like, trust me. And I'm like, I deal with thousands of people and I'm like, and men and women. I'm like, when you're good, I'll tell you. Or when you've got a problem, I'll tell you. So it's very much don't worry about what other people think. Don't worry about even what they say. It's going through a quite a unemotional clinical mechanical system to make sure you're profitable and do that and forget about people you know pandering to you flattering you or any of that stuff it's usually dangerous if you are but it's that confidence of pushing forward and doing it which then prevents you from going to that networking event asking for that money asking for a client asking for all those things that you need to be able to build your business so it's kind of that's the only time where I say fake it till you make it when it comes to your confidence Right, so just go out there and go. Right, I'm just going to pretend I'm Amanda today. I'm just going to ask everyone for everything, and that's another thing. I ask every day. I'm emailing every day, whether it's clients, prospects, tenders, advocacy, whatever it is. I'm reaching out constantly, and a lot of women don't do that. So that we get rid of that, that lack of that confidence. I reckon you'd have a, an absolute tsunami of success. And how are women um, business owners handling the conditions at the moment? The economic conditions at the moment are they being hit? just as hard as everybody else, harder? Are they dealing with it better or worse? 
Well, they're just coming out of, because it took two to three years to come out of uh, lockdown for recovery, and they're feeling it. And they're feeling it because they also carry the burden most of the time of worrying about the, the family income, money, cost of living. You know, they're the usually ones doing groceries or looking at cost of this and their children. And so they're carrying that, even though it's two separate things in a way, they feel that pressure. So that puts pressure on the business. And if that puts pressure on the business, then they'll struggle or they might come across desperate or they're like, maybe I'll quit my business because it's not bringing enough and I'll go get a job. But they are feeling it because don't forget the cost of the supply, especially in retail, um, hospitality, that women work, they hire women as well. The supply cost has gone up. A lot of people don't realise that. And small businesses are also paying more with super every year with their staff. They're getting hit with DV leave. And if you had 30 women working for you and all 30 women need to take 10 days DV leave per year, that's the equivalent of a full-time person for the year. Let's hope, let's hope they don't. Of course not. But the thing is, to the business, the business who wants to help them the most, of course they'll do it. And they usually do it anyway, to be honest, right? But if it all happens, so there's no subsidy there, there's no help there. So they're, they're the ones with the heart and they'll do the right thing, but then they don't kind of stand up saying, hey, I need help with that. Then you've got the super and then you've got the supply costs going up, the electricity costs going up. And then all these different things have a compounding impact that a lot of women just say, I'm out, I'm, it's too hard to run my business. I'd like to segue to um, a bit about you and building this business. What is your background in business and what gave you the confidence to think, oh, yeah, I can do this and how did you start it? <laughs> uh, very good question. So I always wanted to have my own business. I mean, I started, you know, like my own babysitting club when I was, you know, 10. I would do my own cafe with my parents, although I did get them to buy everything and then I sold it back to them. Um, but <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> entrepreneur. But then my brother would come in and take all the profits. So, you know, he's probably better than I am at that. But the thing was I always had a desire to run a business and to do that. So I still climbed the corporate ladder. I still got degrees. I still did all of that because I wanted to learn as much as I could. But then I realized I, I would find gaps in the market. So for me, I did, I started with graphic design and marketing for sole traders because I have a passion for tradies. And then I realized that was not scalable and I couldn't do it. Then I went into consulting. And then I actually started my first big, I'd say, business was the Businesswoman Media. And that was because no one would publish any of my articles. No one would publish what I wanted to say because they were worried it would offend someone. So my goal was essentially helping women navigate the business world navigate how to negotiate how to do all these things right in a witty way and I thought uh, I thought screw this can't be that hard to start a media business <laughs> so I just did some research mapped it out uh, my friends uh, does websites I said hey could you rip up a website for me and then I hired an editor um, who's experienced to come on board because I knew I had to invest in that and within three months one of my articles went viral and I was quoted in time.com as an internet winning blogger and it was about Amal um, and George Clooney's wedding. I was actually really annoyed that, that everyone was focusing on him. So I actually said she married an actor. Um, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, because I was like, no, I just wanted to be about me. And I remember asking a piece of advice from a mentor at the time. And I said, and he just said, be you and find your people so within you know a few months a few things went viral so it took off and then I just built on it advertising and so forth and I actually sold it during lockdowns 
Um, but that was actually a really good example for me of, well, for starters, hard work, but also I, I was raised with, you know, that whole um, legally blonde when that law school, when she goes, what, like it's hard? That's kind of like the attitude, like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Putting the hard work, do your research, takes time and it paid off. And I would just do that model. I'd see a gap and build the business and then commercialize that business. And that's the key. So a lot of times I will not do something unless I can commercialize it, but I also look at research and data, see how long it takes. So it took me two years for that business to be profitable, but I expected that because I knew that was the time frame with media versus small business women in Australia, which took a week. That's fascinating. Yeah. And then Western Sydney Women, I started that because there was a gap in the market. No one was taking them seriously. I took a few years to build momentum. Now it's its own animal <laughs> in a way. And great advocacy, just different things I would build, whether it's a confident career woman or I'd do something for small business. Every time I would build, it'd be a gap that needs to be filled. Usually someone's told me no or blocked me or annoyed me. And then I created something and then commercialized it and moved on. No better motivator is there than somebody saying you can't no. do that. <laughs> yes. And the thing is, it was interesting because I'm glad they did. So I, I actually like it when people say to me no, because what happens is I'll do it myself. And if I do it myself, I reap all the benefits on my own, right? And my team and whoever has joined me. So now it's like, no, I'll be fine. I'll do it myself. I say you trust yourself more than anybody else. Now, you named some of the businesses that you founded there. We have Small Business Women Australia, which we've been talking about. You also have Mentoring Women in Aviation. Yes. You also have Western Sydney Women, and um, you've since sold, but you had Business Women Media. Yes. <laughs> Does it get easier, like, the more you have? Is that why? Is it like having children or something? Like, you, I, I tell it you, it's like having, for me, they are my children. Um, it gets easier because you learn things along the way, you know. So um, you streamline things, you kind of cut things at like a couple of steps you can get rid of because you know it doesn't work or you can skip straight to something. So I just um, launching this year Western Sydney Youth, which is a whole new um, branded business on its own. Um, I started Future is Bright a couple of years ago, which was for high school girls. And that goes nat uh, national. I've got Future Not Followers, which is a program I designed for financial literacy for girls in high school. And that's going regional this year. So I work out the need, like what works and what doesn't. And the biggest thing would be, be decisive and agile. So if something does not work, change it on the spot, quickly change it, be decisive with that. Don't overthink it, adapt and move on. When you're in large companies, it's hard to do that. But when you have your own business, you can, and that saves a lot of time and money. Would that be one of your piece of pieces of advice to um, business owners? Like don't get married to an idea until you know that it works? Then yes, I always say test it. I always say test an idea. Do a business case on it. Test it. Give it three months max. And if it's not working, completely get rid of it. If it just needs tweaking, tweak it and keep moving forward. But don't, yeah, don't, or, or even postpone it. So if you've got multiple things happening, you can say that's a next year's problem, which is one of my favourite lines. You know, that's a 2026 problem or something like that. So, but don't hold on to something. So I have clients sometimes will hold on to something. It's like, oh, but I really enjoy doing that. I'm like, yes, but it's not working and there's no market for it. So drop it, <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's hard, but it saves you money if you do it quickly. What have some of the biggest learnings been for you from your career before becoming a business owner that you find you use frequently, if anything? 
Well, one would be hard work. So nothing beats hard work. You know, a lot of people say, oh, work smarter, not harder. I say work smart and hard, right? Combine the two. Uh, trust no one. You know, it took me a while. Really? That's ominous. Well, the thing is, start with that zero trust. And, and over time, you will build levels of trust. So don't throw yourself in. And I said this to someone actually the other day and they said, do you trust me? And I said, no. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so offended. And I said, well, if someone held a gun to your head and said, please tell me everything Amanda's ever told you or I'll kill you, you and your son, what would you do? And that's human nature. So it's not their fault. You've just got to see people for who they are and, and their character and as far as they can go with what they can do, right? Don't expect people to be like you. But it is a, quite a vicious world out there. In the corporate world, I realised that, you're pretty much on your own. You could find a handful of people, I had about two or three that were really good. You worked with them and you learned from them and then you move on. And the biggest thing is to move on and be able to move on. So from people, from clients, from don't just stay in a partnership or in a job just because you miss the people. If it's not serving your goal and your purpose, move on. Um, but very, I was very trusting, too trusting early on and it backfired in many ways. So now it's being very cautious, very um, observant, listen, and not everyone needs to know your business and not everyone needs to know your ideas. Work on things and don't say it until you launch it. You know, you've got your key partners and that's it. Do you have any anecdotes you could share from that lesson? <laughs> um, I can tell you, a, let me tell you a story. <laughs> I remember one of my first jobs and I was young. So we're talking, I'm vulnerable and I'm, I suppose I'm very protective of girls in their 20s now because I was once that person. And there was a woman at this job who was in a different department and she was a lot older, um, she was in her 50s, and we'd catch up and she was kind of like a mentor and she's like, how are things going? And I'd say, oh, this is what I'm going through or this person did this or my boss is, you know, and she kind of like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, someone I could go to that understood what I went through and she went and told the boss everything I said, Right. Not trustworthy at all. And it, what it was, it was actually devastating because I wasn't um, gossiping. I was looking to someone older for wisdom on how to handle things and for understanding and just that absolute betrayal. Um, and I went, you know what, moving forward, I'm keeping my mouth shut and I question. The, the, it's sad. It's sad that you have to do that and you have to question everything. But... I then made it a point to be the person I wish other people were. So I will lead by example. I'm not going to change my character and who I am because of the people around me. I just won't work with them. I'll stay away from them. But I want those who associate with me to know what's the right thing to do. That's fair enough. I have a question about, I guess it's a bit of a part of your title on your social media and on your websites. You're Amanda Rose, hashtag boss lady. There was a bit of a, I guess, change in sentiment in society over the last sort of five years. A lot of people on various chat groups that I'm a part of at least were like, hey, we're not boss ladies, we're just bosses and we're not female CEOs, we're just CEOs. It's a bit of a trend of trying to drop that genderism around yes. that title. Yes. Did that ever, like, did you ever think about that or does that title resonate with you in a particular way that you... You love it? Oh, look, the thing is, the reason why I used that term and use it as a hashtag as well, because it wasn't just me, was women 
um, felt like they were part of a community by saying that. And it gave them kind of confidence to be boss in whatever they're doing. So it was kind of like a gentle entry into what they were doing. So um, some people be like, oh, I'm boss lady of this or, it, you know, and I kind of know for like even when I work with the men, they go, oh, he's boss lady type thing. And I'm like, don't you forget it. Um, but I also refer to myself as the boss and I have hats that say the boss. And um, so I have different, you could say different identities depending on the situation. Yeah. And people don't have to use it. And I agree 100% that wouldn't it be nice to say this is the CEO or this is, um, you know, the boss and not boss lady or female CEO. However, I work so much with men that I know that unless women have their own support network and their own group and their own advocates, they will struggle to ever be on the same level of opportunity as the men. So, for example, I'll have a community of women, even like with Western Executive Women, which I created because the executive world in Western Sydney blocks a lot of women. So I went, hang on a minute, I'll start my own. But then I will bring in the men that I work with that are great and bring them together. So it's that more of a facilitation and a need. It's not about a label of you're just a or you're just a this. It's the fact that, well, we need to build you up. We need to work on your confidence. We need to teach you on how to deal with these guys or teach you how to negotiate, which is what I'm good at. Some are brilliant at it, don't need it, see you later, but a majority need it. Once we have an entire world of women that don't need it, it'll, dis- it'll disappear. You know? And that's, that's great. But I want them to feel that they don't have to be thrown into the business world on their own without a community backing them or without that, that help. I can. I, I love it. I love kind of venturing into it. But they need it. And I want them to know you're welcome here. We'll train you up or we'll give you the skills and the access. I mean, the fact that I mentioned before about of funding, um, you know, goes to female founders. Most of that funding are male companies, right, and male founders and wealth management firms run by men. So if they're only giving 4% of the women, then they don't see those women as business women, CEOs and bosses. They see them as chicks. They're doing a cute little startup. So I'm trying to bridge that gap. But from the female perspective, I want to boost their confidence, get them ready to bring them into that world so they can nail it. And I think it's important to highlight, actually, that it's not about not working with men. It's about helping women to have the confidence and gain the skills that they need to be part of the broader yes. business community, 100%. right? Absolutely. I, I, I've got great males that I work with in all companies, men and women, and you get good men and bad uh, men, good women, bad women, right? Let's just put that out there. It's both. But it's the fact that in the business world, what a lot of women get shocked by is the bluntness and the directness and the unemotional um, decisions and the way men deal with things. They see it as, oh, you don't care, or I didn't hear from him. Should I follow up? I don't want to nag. I'll be all nice and gentle. And they're like, bam, 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 which is how I work. So I like it, right? So it's kind of like saying, it's okay. And then I try and tell the man, you're missing out on a whole bunch of potential awesome companies that you're not working with. And then they're like, oh, I didn't know, Amanda. That's great. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. So I'm just trying to bridge that gap of the people that should be working together and the people that are not nice on either side, well, they can go away. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good filtering system. It is. <laughs> now we end every podcast by asking, what is your silver bullet for business success, Amanda? 
one by one is how things get done. I like that. That's really cool. Can you expand on what that means to you? Yep. So we get overwhelmed by what we think we want or what we do want or what other people are doing. But if you just chip away at something, one to-do list activity at a time, one connection at a time, one meeting at a time, you'll get there. And I remember the very first day I got my first LinkedIn connection and I remember saying to myself, because that's how I was raised, my mum would say one by one. I went, oh, there's my first one and now I've got, you know, know, 25,000. I get a lot of my business from LinkedIn. So That's really insightful and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Amanda. I almost want to go out and start a business. (laughs) (laughs) Almost. Almost. I don't have an idea. I think I need an idea first. (laughs) You'll get one now. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time. Thank you.